Welcome to the Wisdom of the Womb podcast, your home for mind, body, and soul wellness for women. My name is Stephanie Adler. I'm a certified nutrition consultant, birth doula, and women's hormone and fertility expert. I've supported hundreds of women in having healthy cycles, healthy babies, and building a balanced foundation in their bodies and minds to set them up for a limitless life. Now it's your turn. I believe a woman reaches her full potential when she trusts the innate wisdom of her body and that those women change the world. So if you're wanting to achieve hormone harmony, have boundless energy, optimize your fertility, live a holistically healthy life, and learn how to love and trust your body to become the well woman you know you are meant to be, you're in the right place. Join me for weekly wisdom on topics such as holistic hormone and gut health, fertility, mindfulness, birth, pregnancy, and beyond, and leave with actionable steps towards well womanhood. Thanks for pressing play today. I'm so excited for the magic we're going to create together. Let's dive in. Hello, friends. Today on the podcast, I am going to be talking about how the first trimester of this pregnancy was so different from what I was expecting. What surprised me, even as a fertility expert and a birth doula, and the lessons learned I'm so excited about this episode because I know that the takeaways will be helpful to anyone on their preconception path, who's in learn and immerse mode to anyone who recently found out they are pregnant or are in the throes of the first trimester, or honestly, even to anyone who's already been through this journey and wants to process their experience. Uh, I know that there was a lot to process for me. And so I'm just really excited for everyone on every stage of all these journeys to be able to connect over this topic. I want to just put a quick reminder out there that this is not medical advice. And I encourage you to talk to your provider, of course, about anything that I share in this episode. This is based on my personal experience and my own personal research, but you should of course, always check in with your specific care providers who make specific recommendations to you before making any changes to your life routine, et cetera. So let's go ahead and jump right in. I am going to start us off swinging because here's the thing I was not expecting about pregnancy slash first trimester at all, and ended up struggling the most with in the first three months of pregnancy. It was how lonely I felt. It was a hundred percent overall the hardest part. And I did not have an easy time physically in my first trimester that's coming next. Um, but I, I totally expected this period of time to be one of the happiest of my life. And in some ways it was absolutely. And the loneliness that I was experiencing on a regular basis really did take away from that. And what was so strange about this lonely loneliness was that our families, my family, Danny's family knew at six and seven weeks, my sister knew as soon as I took the test, I told my best friend shortly after our families found out. So that must've been around like the seven, eight week mark. I had a midwife as early as eight weeks, possibly even sooner. I can't exactly remember when I, we hired her, but you know, my sister and my husband were being supportive. Absolutely. And I had friends that definitely felt like they were being supportive as well, but I felt so alone, alone in this experience and rationally. I knew I wasn't alone. 
Like there were people that were doing a really beautiful, good job about checking in with me. Um, but something about the experience, which everyone could hear about. And some of my friends or family members obviously had gone through already, like still didn't land when no one was experiencing this experience the exact way that I was. And it was really, really the hardest part for me. And I'm so curious for my mamas out there, if this was your experience during your first trimester, trimester, please send me a message and let me know. You know, I remember around week nine, I believe Danny and I took a trip to New York which was possibly one of the most challenging experiences of my life. Okay. That might be an exaggeration, but like, actually it was so hard and for so many reasons and more on this in the next part, when I'm talking about just the physically challenging aspects of my first trimester. But I, at one point I remember laying in bed at the hotel, just sobbing because I was so sick and I was having such a hard time. And I called my sister She didn't answer on the first call. And then she called me back, you know, a little while later. And when she called me back and asked me, you know, I am crying, I'm explaining what's going on. And she asked me how she could help. I vividly remember saying, I just need someone to listen to me cry. And that is my main lesson in this. I can't be certain if having other friends who you're pregnant with at the same time helps this since I didn't have any very close friends I was sharing the experience with, but my hunch is that it doesn't help that much. I tried going to prenatal yoga, talking with people who were pregnant, even like some of the online forums that there are out there, but it really didn't help. And I think that's because no one can really know exactly how it feels in your changing body day by day by day. The fears that come up, the physical sensations, the shifting that is happening that is so unique to you. And it might feel super lonely to be going through that, no matter if your sister or your best friend or whoever is going through it at the same time. And as wild as it is that every person born on this earth means that someone was pregnant. So it's obviously not a unique experience, but your pregnancy is unique to you at this time. And sometimes you're just going to need someone to witness you to make it feel slightly more okay. And being a witness is something that is really different or being witness is something that is very different than just like being there for each other. Um, And this is something that many of us are really uncomfortable with being witnessed, seen and held without providing anything in return. I know that this can be really challenging for me, even though I provide this for so many others and know the benefit of it. And I wish I had communicated to those close to me earlier on in pregnancy, that this was how I was feeling and that them checking in on me and asking how I was feeling wasn't what I actually needed at that time. Right. Because me responding, being like, I'm not doing great, honestly, but how are you? And then going back and forth on you know, whatever else is also going on in their lives and like being present for my friends at the same time, wasn't the receiving that I needed. Like I needed someone to just witness me in my struggle. 
and allow me to feel slightly less alone in it. And this doesn't mean that like you can't show up as a friend, right? In the first three months of your pregnancy, but there's something about just being witnessed and completely held that that is so necessary for the alleviating of this loneliness. And so if you're on this journey and are experiencing that, I really encourage you to find that person whoever it is and communicate how them showing up for you will be helpful. Even if it's just someone else listening to you cry, really, that was like one of the most helpful things to me, um, on that day was just someone listening to me cry and not trying to fix it and not trying to tell me it's going to get better, but just being like, I see you and you're not alone in this. The second thing that was the complete opposite of how I expected it to be was how sick I was. I totally thought I was going to feel amazing, feel totally great in pregnancy. So many of my clients had really easy pregnancies after following my protocols, which I live by. So I was like, okay, great. (laughs) They have easy pregnancies. I'm going to have an easy pregnancy. They feel great. I'm going to feel great. And what I ended up finding out is that the strongest indicator of having nausea specifically is if your mom was nauseous, um, not about your nutrition, but it's, it's genetic. And there is some small increase in the data of girls causing more nausea than boys, but it is minor as far as science goes. Anecdotally though, many, many, many people will back that up. Um, however, when we did our gender reveal and my mom saw that it was a boy, her response was really never heard of someone being so sick with a boy. (laughs) So it is very anecdotal and maybe I am the exception to the old wives tale, or maybe it's only a small statistical difference, but whatever, either way, I was totally humbled by in this scenario was that my years of nutrition and intention around nutrition and knowledge around nutrition wasn't going to save me from the nausea. And though I do believe that my nutrition background and my nutrition intention and focus for as long as I've been working on my my nourishing myself made a really big difference with fatigue because overall I had very, very little fatigue during my first trimester. Um, interestingly, I noticed while we were on our few day road trip to Colorado in my second trimester, I had extreme fatigue. And I do believe that it was connected to my diet because, you know, obviously we were eating really differently on the road. Um, and like, cause even during the worst of the nausea, I was eating nutrient dense food. I would prioritize protein as much as I could. I eat organic. I got a variety of different nutrients, but on our road trip, even though we were making the best choices, you know, like we would go to the whole food salad bar or, you know, going to restaurants, like still, even when we're making good choices, the food isn't exactly how I fuel and nourish myself at home. So I do believe that my nutrition really did help with the fatigue, but the nausea was truly a shock, not just the intensity of the nausea, but also the duration for how long it lasted. I'm currently at 17 weeks. And while it's gotten a lot better, it's not fully gone yet. And for me, it started at five and a half weeks. So I'm at 
you know, almost 12 weeks of the nausea. And I'd say there was like a peak where it was like really bad of about five weeks. Um, so it's been, it's been definitely a journey with the queasiness in my body. I was able to keep most of my food down though, uh, through some of the strategies that I learned. And I'm going to share with you in just a few moments, but I definitely also had, did throw up more in those 11, 12 weeks than I ever had in my entire life. And it doesn't really ever get easier, you know? So, um, I feel fortunate. Like I still gained like, the, you know, an adequate amount of weight. I didn't lose weight at all during my first trimester. I still gained at least four pounds. Um, so I do think that these strategies were really effective, but also just naming, they weren't completely foolproof. Like I had such intense nausea that I, I did still throw up some. So I'm hoping that by sharing some of these tricks that I learned, it will help any of my nauseous mamas out there, nauseous mamas to be, just have them in your back pocket. To a lot of people's surprise, eating is one of the things to keep nausea away in pregnancy. It's almost the opposite of normal nausea, which really, really shocked me. Um, and so a lot of the recommendations around how to prevent nausea during pregnancy are connected to that. So the first one is eat before going to bed and keep a protein full snack on the bedside table for the middle of the night. If needed this, if needed, I needed this for at least five weeks, um, throughout my pregnancy. Like I would wake up in the middle of the night, with just these crazy hunger pains. And if I could eat something very quickly, that had a little bit of protein in it that I would keep next to the bed. It would prevent me from like being up for a couple hours with some extreme nausea. Like if I caught it right away and similarly eating before bed really at this point, like having an extra snack before bed is really helping with the morning nausea. So it's really important to have that extra bedtime snack and then keep something on the bedside table in case you need it in the middle of the night. The second one is to have an easy to get down breakfast ready to go in the morning. I have to give a huge shout out to my husband for this one. He was so helpful with this. I'd wake up and yell from the bedroom, like to make one of my smoothies or two eggs over medium, very specifically, or at least like bring me a banana and some yogurt and he would get it ready and have it to me within 10 minutes, which was usually, usually just the right amount of time that I wouldn't have crossed the point of no return to the morning throwing up. So I would say that like having a good plan for something early in the morning, it could be like making egg cups in advance, like, you know, egg, like an egg bake that you can do in like little muffins, um, or like overnight oats or something that is like already done. Chia puddings in the fridge could have been a really good idea. I had a very helpful doting husband who I could just count on to make me something. Cause he, but we both worked from home, but if that is not your situation, highly recommend making something in advance that is easy for you to eat within like a few minutes of waking up in the morning to prevent the morning nausea from getting bad. I personally found the third tip was that eating every 90 minutes kept the, what I'll call the heaving at bay. Cause it wasn't always even throwing up. It was just a lot of dry heaving. Um, and it was a lot of eating and every 90 minutes is, is eating constantly. And honestly, it was exhausting to keep up with, but eating something small regularly was super, 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 super helpful. Like I, I have to say there was a five or six week period where that was really, really necessary for me to stay same. 
Um, the fourth tip that I want to suggest is preparing food that doesn't have a strong smell. So more raw foods, less cooking. This could be like more salads, um, or use like, um, appliances and tools like the instant pot to keep smells contained. I did a lot of hiding in our bedroom with the air filter on high while Danny cooked during this time, because I found that the smells of the food during preparation were way more challenging for me than the actual like smell of the food, just completely done. Or, you know, salads were like my best friend during this time with the smells. Like it, I ate more salads during my first trimester than I've probably eaten in like the past 10 years combined. Um, and so really like thinking about trying to cater to your super strong sense of smell during pregnancy and not let that impact your nausea and impact the way that you can eat. The fifth suggestion I have is, you know, this is really a time where focusing on protein is even more important for you, for your nausea, for your baby, for everyone. Um, I definitely did find certain meats were less desirable to me during this time. And as someone who really enjoys protein, I found that it was, it was an, it was unusual experience because I do really love meat, but I found that having proteins prepared in certain ways, like helped me enjoy it more and like continue to be able to keep eating it more, especially because like certain tastes, which felt stronger to me during pregnancy, which for me was chicken. And I eat a lot of, um, meat that has liver in it. They were a little, a lot stronger. And so covering up that, flavor with, you know, more sauces, more spices was really, really helpful for getting me to be able to continue to eat the protein. So I definitely would suggest like figuring out what cuisines, like I was doing a lot more curries and things because like the sauce and all the spices were really helping mask some of the more intense flavors of the protein for me at this time. Um, also it's really important to keep up your protein intake, especially if you are experiencing fatigue during first trimester. So really figure out a way to make sure you can get the protein in, and it will also really help with your nausea. And my sixth suggestion is to not travel to New York. I'm kind of kidding, but not really like the smells and the challenges of being in that city were just brutal. If you live in New York city, I have so much respect for how anyone navigates that city in any sort of state of being that is not feeling well. The smells are just inescapable. There's so much cigarette smokes, like halal cards blasting out all sorts of like savory smells, the subway steam coming up through the grates with that unmistakable subway must. Ugh, it's just like so challenging when you're already sensitive to smells and nauseous, but in all seriousness, if you're traveling anywhere in the first trimester, I recommend going somewhere where you can have a kitchen and overall have easier access to food. Even in our nicer hotel, we stayed in two hotels during our time in New York, the nicer hotel used a restaurant for their room service. And it was just not good. And having to navigate eating six times a day, or more sometimes while staying in a hotel was really, really challenging. Um, also when we fly, flew in, we prepared the best we could. We had, you know, homemade salads. We had so many snacks. 
but we ended up having crazy flight delays, you know, being delayed on the tarmac. I ended up using one of the barf bags on the plane. Like it was just really challenging. So I would say we did do another trip to Asheville. And this time we stayed at an Airbnb and we drove and were able to bring more food. And it was just so much easier. So if you have control over your travel schedule or where you're staying in your accommodations, when you're traveling in the first trimester, really prioritize a place that has a kitchen. And if you can choose to drive over fly, I find it might just be a lot easier to plan for food. So those are my tips for the nausea. I really hope they serve you. If you have other tips that really saved you during your first trimester or that you've heard from other friends or family members, please send them on to me on Instagram and I'll share them with the community because I really want us all to be able to get through this together. Um, okay. Something else that majorly surprised me was how much I missed the seasonal feeling of cycling in my body. I've gotten more used to it at this point, 17 weeks in, but it's so wild thinking I used to live like this on birth control for 10 years. Yikes. And like how many women don't even realize what they are turning off for more on that, please listen to our hormonal birth control episode for the modern woman, which was episode number one. But anyways, back to pregnancy, pregnancy feels to me like an extended luteal phase in a lot of ways. And also is most similar to that phase in terms of what's happening hormonally minus the surging estrogen. And, but because of that, I found myself feeling like I was waiting for my period a lot in the beginning. And of course I didn't want my period to come. I was super excited and grateful to be pregnant. And I knew rationally that to stay pregnant, I did not want my period to come, but it was this internal feeling like my internal clock kept being like, okay, it's time for our period. Where are you? And it's making me really think about how we prepare cycling bodies and women to carry all of the different seasons of life because cycle syncing has become the most supportive aspect of my life. As far as an internal clock, it gives me structure has, and has become so much second nature to me that it's been wild to unlearn that structure and way I live my life and reframe how I structure my schedule, my food, my workouts, my mindset, everything to be in this one long steady season opposed to something that is so dynamic and inherent to our being as women to really, you know, and so like, then how do we embrace this other beautiful gift that women have to carry life inside and surrender to that new structure when it is so different than the dynamic cyclical nature of the way that we live typically. And so when I teach cycle syncing to clients, there's a very clear method, right? We start by incorporating one to three things in each cycle. And we build on top of that. And I talk about this all the time in my certification program, cycle informed coaching. And that's starting with, with clients, number one, what's the most easy to access and where they will get number two, the greatest benefit. And of course, this is different for every client, which is why we customize it. And I'm still in process with this in terms of coming up with a system that will support going from a cycle sinking mind and body into a pregnant body in a way that feels easeful and allows the experience to build, to like bring a little bit of method to this madness, because it totally felt like getting thrown into a pit of surprise for me. 
And I definitely feel like there's something here, not fully formed out yet, but I feel like the lesson I'm taking away is that there needs to be more support for women in this period. And when I say this period, I mean this first trimester of like this time when you're like, oh my God, wait, my internal clock is changing because for so many women, this is you know, like the secret time, like they're not telling the world yet. And we, you know, having methods and systems really help us ease into big life transitions. And I feel like there needs to be more of a conversation around this. And so, um, it's something that I was really surprised by, and I'm really excited to continue to explore. And so similarly, if you have had this experience already, please reach out to me. Let's have some conversations. I want to see what this experience was like for you. And also maybe on the other side, I mean, I haven't experienced this yet, but like going from a postpartum you know, a pregnant to a postpartum body back into a cycling dynamic seasonal body. Like I feel like there, these transitions need more attention. So lastly, and this wasn't really a surprise to me, but it was definitely a lesson learned was that the first trimester and pregnancy in general, but the first trimester is an immensely spiritual time. If you allow it to be. And most people aren't connecting with it in that way. And our society is not actively promoting the spiritual component. And at times it almost seems like it's discouraging it. I was so shocked when I started going to prenatal yoga classes and there was no mention of connecting with the baby. It was so weird to me. Like, you know, there was no spiritual component to, to the aspect of being pregnant at all. And yoga, for example, is like a very spiritual practice in and of itself. You know, we set intentions. It's about, you know, how we take this practice off the mat and we're here in prenatal yoga. And, you know, we go around the room and we say, do we know if we're having a boy or a girl and what week we're in and our names. And, and there was no mention at any point during the yoga class of connecting with the miracle that's happening inside of you of like being in amazement and awe of the soul developing inside of you or anything, just not even like take a moment to connect with your baby or to visualize, you know, golden braided roots coming from your womb space into your heart, like nothing. Um, and I will say that this, this, the spiritual aspect of Pregnancy, especially in the first trimester for me required a lot of intention and took some work specifically when I was sick, because I could find myself going a day or two where I wasn't really feeling as connected. And when I started noticing that was happening, I was became really intentional about bringing baby into that process. And so even in a society where it's not encouraged, even when your body is not feeling well, I really encourage you to talk to your baby to start, you know, something I was doing was sharing with the baby, how I was feeling in my body and also sharing like that. I would happily do it a hundred times over because I loved them. Right. Although I did have a moment while we were packing up our house in Atlanta and I had been dry heaving, which is so much more painful than throwing up by the way, all morning where my language reverted back to my nanny days when I had been like you know, frustrated or tested too many times. And I caught myself saying like, okay, that is enough. (laughs) 
to the baby, like normally I'd be like, it's okay. Like, this is what I'm feeling. And I'm like, like, it's all right. If you need, like, if this is what you need to be healthy. And like, I was just like, totally just like in that mode. And I did have this one day where I was like, enough, enough is enough. But it was, it was a brief moment of relapse, but point being, you know, it will be hard to connect in some of these moments when you're physically not feeling well, when society isn't bringing you in. You know, I did one uh, OBGYN appointment when I was still living in Atlanta just to establish care with an OBGYN because I didn't have one because I personally find them useless. Um, but you know, if something had happened, not having an OBGYN, if I needed to get access to an ultrasound or something, uh, I just wanted, it was going to be challenging because for new patients, it's always much harder. So I did have one appointment just to establish care with someone until I got to Colorado where I had a midwife that I was going to be working with more long-term. And similarly, I mean, there was just no opportunity to connect in a spiritual way whatsoever. And so, you know, it's it's going against you from a societal perspective, your body might not be feeling it, but when you take a moment and like clear the noise and go inward, wow, what a beautiful spiritual experience. And then like, it was, I mean, one of the highlights of the first trimester for me was having these moments of deep connectedness to my baby. And this experience, you know, overall just really takes me back to a fertility client of mine. And for a little bit of context and background, this mama um, is now many months into her pregnancy with her second baby. But at the time that we first connected, she had been struggling to get pregnant for years. It had been months of, you know, not getting pregnant originally having PCOS, et cetera, and then getting pregnant, having an ectopic pregnancy, getting one of her fallopian tubes, um, surgically removed, and then being told by a doctor that there was no way she would be able to get pregnant naturally. And after many, many more months after that happened and not having any success on her own, we connected and started working together. And after a few months of our work together, she was able to get pregnant naturally, which was her dream come true. Right. And we continued working together throughout her pregnancy. And at one point, relatively early on, I noticed that for a few of our calls in a row, she was complaining a lot. And, and to reiterate, like I said before, I think it's really important to have safe spaces to share your experience, um, and to be witnessed and seen and held and to be able to be like, this is hard and this sucks, but just to name that this wasn't really that, um, this was her not showing up as her highest self. And she was falling into the like, oh, cycle that so many of her peers were in, like, pregnancy sucks. I hate being pregnant. Just like that kind of language. Um, and I noticed that she wasn't feeling connected when her spiritual practices were such a critical part to her getting pregnant. And like, we're so supportive in her getting pregnant to begin with. So, I mean, of course I gave her space over a few calls to express this. And after trusting my inner coach guru and knowing it was a safe time to provide some tough love, I lovingly told her to snap out of it. And, you know, I asked her when the last time she had connected to her baby was, and it had been a while. And I reminded her that she was living in her dream manifested, right? This was what she had wanted for so long. And now she was living in it and she needed to start 
acting like it. I probably said it a little bit nicer than that, but you know, it was a little, I do remember it being a pretty, like, this is what you asked for now let's appreciate it. Um, and you know, we spoke to some of the ways that she could start reconnecting with her pregnancy and with her baby. And what I noticed over the next several weeks on our calls was she was glowing in a different way. It didn't make the aches and the pains that she was experiencing that much better, but it made her experience so much better. This is kind of like where pain isn't option or like pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional is optional. That saying, it reminds me of that. She got to love being pregnant and felt so connected to her little guy for the rest of her pregnancy when she had been blocking that off before, because so many of her friends, you know, experienced that like a lot of her neighbors were pregnant and that was their experience. And she just kind of fell into that hole. And so If you take anything from this podcast, I hope it's this, that connecting with your baby and connecting with the true miracle that's happening inside of you is like first trimester golden rule. Number one, it's going to be hard and it's so worth it to do that hard thing. Um, An easy way to do this is when you find yourself in moments of silence, by the way, this works for anyone who's in their preconception journey to talk to their spirit baby during this time as well, but use any quiet time to talk to baby. I did this a lot. Like when I was driving, like instead of having a podcast on or having uh, the radio on or music or talking on the phone, I would just allow myself to like be in silence for like 15 minutes in my drive and connect and connect with my baby and talk to my baby um, and just sit into and feel what that feels like. And, you know, just take time to like notice the feelings that you're experiencing in your body, the things that are potentially then also being experienced by the body and soul that are currently in development inside you and just take that time to connect. So That was a lot on my first trimester experience. I love listening to other women share their experiences. Please, please, please reach out to me on Instagram. Always that is Stephanie with an F Adler wellness. That is also linked in the show notes below. I am currently accepting some last private clients before going on maternity leave. So if you are looking for any type of support on any stage of this journey, right, of preconception, getting pregnant, having a healthy pregnancy, send me a message or fill out my one-on-one application. The link is in the show notes. If 2023 is your year to get pregnant, have a healthy pregnancy, balance your hormones and overall feel like a total rock star in your body. Now is the time Chica. My private coaching program is for women who are ready to truly dial into the mind, body, and soul wellness and learn the lifelong skills they need to thrive as a woman in this world. It is high touch partnership style of coaching that I provide in this program. And it's what allows my clients to truly transform to a place of trusting their body and their innate wisdom of the body that has always existed inside them. Over 90% of my fertility clients end up pregnant within a year of working with me, many of whom become pregnant during the four or six months we're working together. PCOS does not stand a chance against my protocols, and we have a complete success rate that's 100% of women with PCOS to start regularly ovulating and are asymptomatic when they follow the plan that we put together. If this 
type of, I know how to deeply nourish myself and live my most fulfilled life as a result type of work interests you. I'm ready for you. Send me a message. I can't wait to read your applications. I hope you have a great rest of your day, wherever or night, wherever you're listening to this, whenever you're listening to this, lots and lots of love. So grateful you're here.